Hi guys, I'm Courtney Fox. And I'm Kathleen Acker, and we would like to welcome you to Meg's Front Page. This is your podcast to bring you up close and personal with authors who have published recent articles in JMEG and to keep you up to date with the latest in evidence-based practice. Hi everyone, I wanted to introduce you today to Dr. Megha Mystery an Advanced Minimally Accessed Surgery Fellow in the Obstetrics and Gynecology Department at Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital in the UK. We are so excited to have you here today to discuss your paper titled Cannabidiol for the Management of Endometriosis and Chronic Pelvic Pain. We have seen the growing interest in using cannabids to help with pain associated with other chronic illnesses and malignancy and think it is so innovative that you wanted to study this among endometriosis patients. So I'll hand it off to Kathleen, Dr. Ackhart to start the interview. All right, Dr. Mystery. So what were your goals of this study? Uh, hi, so um, yeah, so we were actually approached by a patient asking about cannabidiol for the, for the use of her treatment. As a group um, of endometriosis, specialist within our team, we didn't know a lot about it. So it was my job uh, as the fellow to go away, do a literature review, find out what, what was available on it and see what we could offer. And I went away, I did the research, I, I was expecting to find a few, you know, randomized control trials. And actually what I found was there, there isn't anything um, out there for the treatment of endometriosis. There are a few sort of animal studies. Um, there are a few cross-sectional cross surveys that are very open to bias, um, but there isn't anything that I could come back to her with and say, this is what we can offer you. This is what we can use to treat you, or you know, this is what you can go and get for yourself over the counter preparations. There's, there's no real evidence out there to manage those symptoms. So um, that was what sparked it off really. It was the patient asking the question and us going away to find out. And when I discussed it with my team, we decided that it was important that we get the, the information out there to say, this is all that's available. We really need to find out more. And that led to this really, which was quite exciting. Awesome. I really enjoyed learning about cannabis receptors. You know, a lot of studies just study clinical outcomes, whereas this really got to the molecular level. And so I guess what sparked your team's interest in finding the link between the receptors and endometriosis? Well, I think part of it was that there aren't any big clinical studies. So the studies that are available are really looking at the molecular level. They're looking at receptors, they're looking at animal models. And it is really interesting to see how the endocannabinoid system was discovered, that it started, actually, it started with cannabis, basically, and trying to find out how cannabis worked, that it gave people a high, that there was this sort of pain management aspect of it, that people used to use it to self-manage pain, and they have been uh, for centuries. And because of that, we found out about cannabis receptors. And then from cannabis receptors, we then found out about natural cannabinoids. So our own endogenous cannabinoids that are produced um, that give us our, you know, 
I suppose our natural highs and the uh, reward system um, based on that. So that was really interesting. And I think if you can really get down to the molecular level, then you can start to build up and come up with new treatment options. And with endometriosis, it's such a difficult disease to treat. There are treatment options available, but a lot of them have side effects. A lot of them will impact fertility. Not every patient gets on with all of them. And for those who don't find any benefit from any of the hormonal preparations available or have significant side effects with the pain medications, opiates, and who don't want to have surgery after surgery, there isn't really anything else available. So it's about trying to find something new. And I think if, uh, if there is any research that can be done to look at new avenues for treatment of this condition, I think it's worth pursuing. So for those of us who are not molecular biology whizzes, can you explain <laughs> Um, just the different receptors discussed in your study and how that could maybe translate to our readers' understanding of the cannabinoids. Yeah, so it was interesting for me as well as a clinician. So I didn't realize there were so many. There are two main receptors. So that's CB1 and CB2. So the endocannabinoid system affects uh, multi multiple organs throughout the body, multiple systems. So CB1 and CB2 receptors are found all over the body, but mainly in the uh, central nervous system and peripheral nervous system. But there are other um, cannabinoid receptors as well, which was news to me, really. And they're sort of novel, what we would call novel cannabinoid receptors or non-CB1, non-CB2 receptors. CB1 and CB2 receptors are um, G-coupled protein receptors, so they, they're found in the cell membrane. The, so the things that we've discussed previously, so the natural cannabinoids, the endogenous cannabinoids, or the plant-based cannabinoids, so THC and CBD being the main ones, they bind to uh, the G-coupled protein receptors and they cause um, sort of a signaling and then cellular events within the cells. But there, there are other receptors. So there's also capsaicin receptor or vanilloid receptor, which I mentioned in the article. So TRPV1, uh, and that's an ion channel receptor. And that is interestingly involved in uh, the sensation of heat and pain. And then there's also nuclear receptor proteins that are involved in DNA transcription. So that, I mean, I didn't go into detail, but that was interesting for me as well to find out that there are other receptors that are being targeted by all of these medications that are in, um, implementing, um, sorry, or that are potentially impacting pain and the management of pain. So there's a multitude of different ways that it seems to affect the nervous system. The other thing that was interesting is that there are all of these uh, receptors um, in reproductive tissues. So we still don't know exactly what effect cannabinoids will have on endometriosis, on reproductive tissues in these women, but the fact that they are there and that the endocannabinoids impact the reproductive system and endometriosis potentially from these animal models is really interesting. Yeah, we don't know enough yet, but I found it interesting anyway as a clinician. Me too. I thought it was fascinating. It just really highlights the that innovative minds and people that are passionate about women's health can really think outside the box and, and find new treatments for these patients who are in desperate need of additional research to find answers for debilitating pain. So thank you. I, I guess one of our other questions is what can a provider who is not familiar 
with the use of cannabis for pain relief take away from this article? I think helpfully or not helpfully, I think the bottom line was that there isn't enough evidence out there. Um, so what was really interesting is that there is an ongoing randomised control trial. I think it will be due to be published after 2023, so there's still a long way to go. And that's looking at cannabidiol and endometriosis pain management uh, at a low dose uh, and at a high dose. So I think that's something to wait and find out about. It is a small study. It's got 36 participants, and I think we need more of them. But it's exciting that it in existence, you know, um, that it's ongoing. I think the bottom line is that there are treatments out there. Currently, they're licensed for other pain conditions, such as multiple sclerosis um, and um, epilepsy syndromes. And they are like a last resort treatment option, which, you know, if that ends up being what, you know, we are using it for, for these endometriosis, these women with endometriosis, then I think that's fine. But it's, it's, it's sort of getting the data and getting the information of, available to us so that we can at least offer it for people who are res resistant to treatment or who want to try something different because they're just having terrible side effects um, as a last resort. So I think the bottom line is there isn't enough information out there. We need more evidence. We need more people to do the research. So <laughs> I encourage everyone to go out and, and uh, do their randomized, randomized control trials. I appreciate it's difficult to get funding especially for a disease like this that you know is probably not doesn't have that high profile it would be good to get more more data more information and until we have more evidence we can't recommend it to women unfortunately so I think that's the take home is right now we can't say to women it's good or bad yeah so one of the conclusions you came to is that the evidence is really just not there's just not much evidence. A lot of these studies have just been kind of low quality. So what type of study ideas do you have for more future insight? Would you like to see more randomized controlled trials? Yeah. So I think anecdotally and like the, the small scale cross-sectional surveys show that for people who are smoking cannabis, it's like anonymous surveys, there is evidence anecdotal that mm. it seems to be beneficial, but we are, we're going to need more high quality evidence because it's it's not good enough to then recommend its use to patients. So I think we do need more randomized control trials. Um, the fact that there's one ongoing is good, but it's not going to be enough information to make that recommendation, I don't think. So definitely that's that's where we need to look. Absolutely. We both really enjoyed reading your article and I hope our listeners, if they haven't already, run to the JMIG journal and read your article as well because it was <laughs> so fascinating to learn about a new and innovative way to potentially treat pain associated with endometriosis. So is there anything else you want to highlight? I think the one thing I would say is for women who are sort of self-managing. So if, if, the, if women are coming to you to say that they are self-managing with cannabis, it probably is, and this was mentioned right at the end of the article, it is worth saying to them to take some kind of contraception um, because we don't know about the safety data yet. We know that in pregnancy, potentially it can impact the fetus, that it can cross the placenta, and that there, there's a possible link between stillbirth um, premature delivery and um, we don't again we don't have enough information to say it's definitely down to the um, the cannabis or whether there's you know because it's concomitant use with tobacco I think 
there are probably a lot of women out there who are self-managing their pain. So I think given the way that we have ended up doing this literature review and finding out this information, and it's starting with patients who may or may not be using um, cannabis at home, I think it's important that if the, if the patients are coming to you and asking to, you know, at least give them this advice to just say, you know, be careful because we don't know and we're looking into it. And once we have more information, then we can give better advice. And I really look forward to that. You know, I think it will be exciting if we can get new therapies for these women. I agree. I'm very excited and I will stay tuned and keep this on in my eyes when I kind of read about endometriosis and will always be grateful for meeting <laughs> you and introducing us to this new and innovative therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Mystery. I think our listeners will really love to hear this podcast and will be so inspired to go and read your article and check out all the other cool articles we've been publishing lately in JMEG. This has been another episode of MIG's Front Page. Thank you so much for listening. Keep an eye out in the Journal of Minimally Invasive Gynecology and keep us posted if you want to have your article featured.